podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co, where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Hanna. I'm here with uh, Chad. We got, a, we got an awesome guest who's almost on the other side of the world in South Africa, Chris Patoris. Chris, what's happening, man? Everything good, man. It's uh, it's about time. Finally, we're making it happen, so it's exciting. I know. We'll you finally get you off the water. Um, for those <laughs> for those that are listening, you guys got to go check out Chris's uh, Instagram handle. He he's pretty much caught almost every species that I want to go target um, in the world. I mean, it, it's just you scroll down and it's you know golden dorado in Bolivia, per, you know permit around the world, uh, tarpon, uh, bonefish, rooster fish, trigger fish. What what other fish am I missing, Chris? What else is what? There's a couple of peacock bass. I mean, it, it just describing that person. I'm like, I want to be that guy <laughs> <laughs> catching all those fish. That's no peacock bass, and I mean the list is still long to be honest. But uh, I've been super fortunate just the past couple of years. Everything just kind of stepped up in a big way and uh, got a lot of opportunities. So, but yeah, I mean, just to think of one that I really still want to go do, man, New Zealand brown trout. Yeah. High on the bucket list. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, before we, I want, well, what's his Instagram handle first? Cause I'm trying to find it again because I lost it on my, my phone. So, I think if people just look up uh, my name, Christian Pretorius, they'll find it, or Christian Fly Fishing, they'll find it. So, it should be somewhere up there. Um, yeah. Okay. And we've, uh, we we want to hear uh, how you got in uh, how you got into this um, become such an athlete in the fly fishing world. But um, but first, I wanted to tell our listeners that we we do have the beta um, of our app, our River Flows app, out on both Android and iPhones. So if you want to check that out, you know, log on, get onto the uh, our website, and um, and you can definitely uh, find the instructions to get it downloaded. Right, Chad? Anything? Yeah. Else? Well, the uh, the iPhone app. Um, there's there's an invite link actually in our in our Instagram bio it's kind of uh cryptic looking it's towards the bottom of the instagram bio um you can tap on that we're working in android app by the time this episode publishes the android app might be out um, it's a little more convoluted process to do the install but um you know android users are well are, are used to uh, convoluted stuff so <laughs> no worries um yeah so i think that's it on the on the uh, yeah we don't app, waste app stuff waste chris's time uh, uh, yeah. over there or else will have some more gin and tonics no and, worries <laughs> so chris how did uh how did you get into fly fishing uh i think it's like the 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 classic story i mean my dad is a big big fly fisherman big outdoorsman bow hunter photographer so uh kind of he he introduced me to the great outdoors uh when i was six years old and uh i mean apart from catching fish i was just super like intrigued by casting like casting was more important than catching a fish for me right at the start and uh so it was just standing on the lawn outside and just casting for hours before I actually eventually got to go cast in water. Um, so my yeah, my definitely my dad who put a rod in my hands and uh, one thing led to the next and I just fell in love with it. So it was pretty awesome and uh, yeah, still thank him to this day for that. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> so you grew up in South Africa? Grew up in South Africa, yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you a short, like a quick rundown of just kind of as a youngster, what happened? So, I mean, started five, six years old, um, same as hunting. So spending a lot of time outdoors. And then, um, my dad actually decided to start a youth fly fishing team, like South African team, um, to go represent our country. And, uh, so I started competing at the age of 14 and that's where the travel bug bit. And, I uh, got wow. to see some pretty interesting places and, and travel and fish. So that's where everything kind of started for me. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. So, oh, um, if you were to 
break down these species in, in a top five uh, as far as if you could spend the rest of your life chasing chasing these top five species, um, what would they be, one through five? Yeah, this, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a super cool question because you can just keep going for hours. But um, it's it's easy and difficult in the same way to do that because every fish is just so unique and different, right? But uh, if I had to do five, um, I'm going to start from like five and work my way up. Um, I would probably think... Um, yeah, I mean, tarpon is hard to beat, you know, like just the side fishing aspect, big fish, I mean, gigantic fish on fly gear. They do exactly what you want a fish to do, jump, uh, strong runs, visible eats. Um, so that's definitely top five. Um, I'm thinking of rooster fish. I mean, do you get a prettier fish than that? Again, side fishing to them on the beach. Um, so that's definitely probably the fish of my lifetime would have been uh, – must must be the rooster fish that I caught last year. Right, that was um, an epic then, fish. Probably yeah. like fifty. What do you still, think? Fifty pounds? I know you. you man, said kilos, I can't but. even put a weight to that. <laughs> but it is. Uh, it's 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 still to date like one of the bigger rooster fish I've ever seen. So yeah. I was just fortunate it decided to eat my fly. So um, that was very special. Um, then you can't leave out golden dorado i mean again very different scenarios you can catch them in but uh for this specific answer i'm gonna have to say bolivia like timani lodge where you fish for these big golden dorado in in rivers more suited for rainbow trout you know it's crystal clear uh casting as even skating big mouse patterns across this river and these big golden fish just kind of eat your fly and go nuts that sounds um, awful so it's 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 a combination of the jungle spending time with the natives and the fish so more often to the fish that i choose it's it's not just about the fish but the whole experience um then giant trevally i mean there's i don't think there's a fish that eats a fly more aggressive than a gt um it makes most anglers look really good because they just eat anything. I mean, you can toss your cell phone in front of it and they'll probably eat that too. So that's a very fun fish to catch. Um, so the last one must be, doubt, a, with, with, must be permit. You know, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's the most intriguing fish out there. Um, I just spent a week in Belize and I was casting at probably 100 to 150 fish a day. And I never got one to eat. Um, I mean, trying my best cast and like really pushing my limits and never got one to eat. My wife got on the bow. She made a cast, caught like the second one she saw. <laughs> <laughs> Just sometimes make you wonder and they really get into your mind. So it's it's an awesome fish. I love them. Unbelievable. And that's so true. When I, you know, the times I spent at the fly shop and talking to all the people on their travels, I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but um, you know, you could like yourself, you've got to be one of the best anglers out there on the water. And, and, you know, a lot of these guys went with their wives on these trips and they wouldn't catch anything, you know, and then their wife would pick up a fly rod and catch the biggest, big, biggest fish of the trip, you know? So it's absolutely, it's, that's pretty the cool. Fishing, the fishing gods work in a different way, like a strange way They like, they'll give you all these little things to get you hooked, like to get you into fly fishing. And once you really get into it, they'll, they'll like make you work for it, like appreciate it again. So beginners like ladies luck it's definitely a thing um but roll with it while it's there for sure <laughs> so you were uh you were guiding in uh the bahamas right and then uh, you got done with that season you went and and did some fun stuff right you ended up in belize so, and then the keys and then actually, how did, yeah go ahead yeah actually by by law i'm not allowed to guide in the bahamas so all me and my wife did we managed abaco lodge um okay which is a very high and large, beautiful spot. Um, so we just managed it. Um, obviously, got a bit of time to fish myself, but uh, we had a really good guide team there. Um, so, yeah, by law, you're not allowed to guide as a foreigner, gotcha. um, which was a little bit tough for me because obviously that's that's my life um, yeah. being on the water. And then yeah, after that, we just kind of planned a little trip. We went to Crested Butte for a week. Uh, we went to Belize for a week, and then I fished all around, all along the Florida coastline, a couple of different spots for tarpon and permit, which was pretty epic yeah well we were we were kind of joking before we hit record about um your your all your travels and how you can afford it and i was thinking you were robbing banks or something or like point break <laughs> you know point well break i can't say of, that over the phone i mean a lot of people's listening so yeah well <laughs> how do you like you, you said you, you said you're not a trust fund baby or anything like that so can you kind of like explain how you manage to do travel the world and do this there's a lot of people that don't have a ton of money that are into fishing and definitely yeah. want to do what you're doing so how do you do it how do you pull that off um i think the my currency in a way is uh how much time you invest in the sport you know like um 
I was just telling one of my good friends the other day when we left the Florida Keys, it's it feels so cool to be able to go to most cool like well-known destinations in the world and the owner of the lodge or the guides or whatever they would give me their bow of their boat for free you know because they just want to fish we want to share um that passion on a boat and nothing beats that i mean for me too as a guide i i there's nothing more special than getting someone on your boat that really loves what they do i mean to some point you don't even expect them to tip you at the end of the day because it's just it enriches you your whole experience as a guide too and so kind of that's in a short story like that's how it happened for me um obviously social media gave me the possibility or the opportunity to to market and to really um you know what like spread the word of how cool a spot is and at the end of the day that's all i do you know the guests would uh some some of these these uh large owners would invite me to come fish for free see the place and potentially send clients over there in the future um so obviously i host a bunch of trips um but pretty recently i started just like doing a lot of these um and shooting content for some of the sponsors you know like they would send some new product with me and uh test it out and they would pitch in a little bit with with the finances and stuff so again okay. it's not my money it's other people that take really good care of me right, um, right so all the sponsors and the hosted trips that's that's one way that that you can really do it too is getting um just through guide guiding i mean staying in touch with some of the clients who just want to keep fishing with you and so you just kind of hear it out and what people want to do and you put a trip together and you fill the week and you can make a little bit of commission on that trip and go fish with them so that's the best way of doing it and that's kind of what my next step is is more of that kind of stuff so when when you got when you got like folks you know sponsors basically that did they reach out to you initially or did you reach out to them i mean did they did they notice you were getting a following on instagram and kind of like pegged you as a as a social influencer if you will yeah i think i think it goes it goes both ways very subtly from my side too you identify brands you want to associate with like people you appreciate in the industry you see people certain companies doing actually good for the environment versus just putting out good gear um, so a lot of the companies that I represent, it's more the people behind the brand than the brand itself. Um, and just happen to be some of the companies are really good quality and they make good gear too. But um, uh, it's a combination. I mean, definitely spreading the word and reaching out to them saying like, hey, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, and that's also like gets them like, hey, who's this guy? You know, and they start checking out and just following your story. And uh, that's what I tell a lot of youngsters nowadays, kind of when they email you and like, hey, how do I do what you do? And it's it's just, buddy, pick up a camera, tell your story. Like, if you really love it that much, just keep doing it. Uh, And the passion, the passion will carry you (laughs) a long way. I was was up at three in the morning because of my eight-month-old. And uh, and then I started thinking about this podcast and what I was going to be asking you and stuff. And I'm... You'd recently got married, by the way. Congrat- congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks so much. So, so one of the yeah. things I was going to tell We're still married. It's four months. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I was going to tell you is to is don't mess up all this fun stuff with with a baby, right? <laughs> yeah. Just wait a little while. No, man. The crazy thing is, I can't wait for that day to come, but I can wait for the day to come. So it's like we both we both want kids. We both want kids, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think you can ever have it planned, right? But uh, we we've kind of gave. gave given ourselves a couple more years <laughs> <laughs> nice hey uh, so a couple things I, uh, you mentioned you know the tarpon rooster fish golden dorado uh, gts and permit um talk yeah. talk about um that trip to, to um, bolivia because i think it, it's kind of a new trip and not a lot of people know about it but um those golden dorado are obviously epic i mean when you you see them out of the water you're like i didn't, I didn't even know a fish like to this caliber existed you know <laughs> yeah it's insane, man. Like, um, it's, it's, I actually, the first time I went over for Golden Dorado was last year. So I did two different trips. I did one to northern Argentina to a place called Pira Lodge, which is a bunch of smaller fish, a uh, really cool experience. But the pinnacle, the one I definitely wanted to see was Bolivia. Um, there's two main outfitters there. Uh, the one is called uh, Timani um, Lodge or Untamed Angling. Like, that's the one company. And then the other company is Angling Frontiers. Um, so they fished kind of a similar fishery um but that's the way you want to fish for them so you hike through these jungle i mean the most pristine and thick jungle um with all these macaws and stuff like flying around it is wild it feels like you're in jurassic park and then you get to this river which is crystal clear and at first you're expecting to just pick up these 
bright yellow slabs of fish in the river. And you'd actually be surprised how difficult they are to spot. Like the only thing you see is the black stripe. If you go look at a golden rodder, they've got this two inch thick black stripe in the middle of their tail. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing you'll pick up. So it's kind of like and a steelhead. So later on, you get an eye. It, exactly. It's like it reflects, red stripe. Yeah, it reflects the, the, the bottom yeah. of the river or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, these things are epic predators. So um, we started hiking up and, and the, my advantage being young and trying to keep fit, you know, I could just walk further than the average person. And that's kind of my goal in a lot of fisheries and trips that I do is just to kind of outthink the average angler as far as like working a little bit harder, getting a little bit further and uh, to find those fish that I haven't seen that many flies. And once you find that, it is, it's spectacular. Um, if like you, just, if they'll you, eat anything. <laughs> if you take that concept to New Zealand, you're going to do just fine. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think it applies everywhere. I mean, I've yeah. yet to be proven wrong um, where it's just like there's one big problem in the world and that's, there's too many people um, and it's scary. Um, <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> you've got to travel further and just work harder. <laughs> so, um, and let's talk about, uh, permit in the Bahamas. Um, and I, I kind of jump around, but then I want to go back to like some of your tactics and techniques for catching some of these fish too. A lot of people, yeah. they go to the Bahamas that are thinking bonefish like myself. I've just, every time I'd say the Bahamas, I, I think it's the world-class, you know, bonefish fishery. Um, but lately yeah. there's been a lot more talk and, and obviously photos showing up of, of permit fishing. T talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so um, I think, I mean, just when I got there the first time three years ago, I, I'll never forget this. We went out the first day, fished with a local guide there, and uh, on our way out, drove past uh, two rays, and one of them had a permit on his back, and the guy just kept on going, kind of ignoring uh, the big old permit on the ray's back, and I'm like, whoa, like, you don't fish for those things? And they're like, nah, they don't eat flies. Um, and so that was kind of a big shock. And uh, so that was my goal, you know, like um, no one ever told me about the permit fishery it's that it, that, that, that's there. And um, in all reality, is the Bahamas is a bone fishery. That's what you go there for. That's right. what you're going to the, pay the money for is to have a fantastic bone fishing experience, but with the bonus of potentially casting at a world-class permit. Um, so you don't see a lot of fish, in my opinion, under like that 15, 15 to 20 pound range. Like that's the average size permit there. Whoa. which is which is phenomenal um and i in all due respect too like there's certain lodges like Blackfly lodge which which is also on abaco island um but they've been catching permit for a long time kind of that's been their focus but they just kind of choose to not share it as much you know like to, to put it out there um mm -hmm. so i've made a big push in in my time to just expose the permit fishery and the potential that there is you know not with the goal of selling it as a permit fishery, but just making people ready, like preparing them. Because um, I think in the past, you, the clients didn't even have nine or ten weights when they showed up. Uh, when now, I wouldn't let a skiff leave the dock without a ten weight. Um, so just being ready. What? Uh, that was the main thing because those fish are there. What what time of the year are they typically found there? Is it year-round, like the bonefish, or is it a season? Um not really it's definitely more seasonal um so for permit my favorite times definitely the change of seed seasons like when the water shifts from uh, cooler to warmer water warmer to cooler water so for me october november is a pretty good time and probably the most important thing is around the moon phase um just what i've seen so i like that week leading up to a new moon we just kind of tend to see those fish eat a little bit more aggressive and show a little bit more aggression um and then again uh, late season when when the water gets warm again so june july um great time of the year too and again that uh, new moon the week leading up to a new moon do you have any hypothesis around why they get it more a little more aggressive on the eat at the on the eve of a new moon um i think they're just the time or limit time's limited on the flats to be honest when they can feed and stuff too there's a little bit more water movement tide. But also, it's just the tide for sure. And then also, um, the, the, the old theory of they just can't eat throughout the night, you know, where on a full moon, um, fish tend to be more active for longer. So the times, uh, like a new moon, the, the times they are on the flat, they, they just move faster, more aggressive, um, where on, on, on certain other tides, they just kind of more slow down, more chilled, and they take their time feeding, kind of looking at the crabs more, looking at the flies a little longer. Um, so I think that's like the main thing. Have you seen any of that with freshwater, Nick? 
Yeah, I mean, the people t- talk about that with steelhead and yeah. and definitely striper fishing yeah. and how that can kick Absolutely. off kick off a spawn and, yeah. and certain things like that. Huh. Is it? We it, get it uh, with with tiger fish. We get it in 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 Africa too. Where um, I mean, even even just if the wind picks up or on a full moon, you just don't go. You don't even go fish for them. Yeah, uh, you cannot catch them. That's like when it's the north crazy. north wind blows here. We just uh, might as well stay off the river. <laughs> yeah is so yeah. and the same thing with chasing these permit you want that high tide kind of going out right is that is that the idea because so the, the moving water like i think current is definitely a big thing um so another thing i always looked for like everyone wish wish for these calm like glass off days nice and flat you know so they can make a good cast my ideal scenario would be like a 15 to 20 mile an hour wind um but clear sunny days like you want good light uh, that's probably the most important thing is good light so you can spot them. But if you have some chop on the water, like that is my ideal scenario. Um, some of the biggest ones we caught was in like pretty gnarly conditions, just strong wind. And they tend to just be a little bit more forgiving, you know. Um, you can slap that fly down as hard as you want sometimes and they're just a little bit more distracted. So um, the rougher the conditions, the more willing they were to to eat. And I mean, the water was a little bit milkier too, so you just don't want it too calm. So you can get a little closer to them and hide your profile, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, there's always that boat noise and shit like that too, um, which right. influences them. But but ideally, a little bit rougher conditions. I prefer that. Is their behavior any different than like Florida and, and Mexico or Belize? Um, I'd have to say so. Yes, I think the big thing is uh, our permit just they've seen way less people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fished the Keys. Um, a little bit now just on the way back and the amount of boat traffic just just that in itself um will definitely influence those fish mm-hmm. um but but then again they, they tend to catch a lot of permit down in the key so there's a lot of question marks and uh, again that's why i love these fish because every day you just you, you're never going to figure it out if you right. say you figured out permit um i really want to meet you <laughs> <laughs> what about flies or did you find them pretty picky on on fly patterns like is it a typical crab crab and shrimp I think flies, um, yeah. So crab and shrimp fishery. I think most cases for permit that'll that'll be the the situation. But uh, it makes a big difference. I think with with permit fishing more so than a lot of other fish, you can you can play around with. The nice thing in the Bahamas, our fish allowed us to play around with flies. So if we had a ray sitting, a permit sitting on a ray, it's not uncommon to have like forty five minutes to an hour with one single fish, and we would change flies. I mean. Wow. Sometimes seven fly changes, and eventually, like Whoa. you'll eat it. Um, so definitely, I would always have at least like seven different flies ready to go, and uh, different different shades, like different weights, different styles of fly. And uh, sometimes it's frustrating because you, you 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 start with one fly, you change seven flies, you go back to the first one and eat the first one again. So it's like it's just it's a mind trip, but uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a awesome game to play. In in Belize, when we were there, we you know we we definitely try to find some of the crabs, and you pull them up off the bottom, and they'd be you know bright blue or you know sometimes tan. But basically, they take the the material in the bottom of the ocean and put it on their backs and kind of mimic the you know the bottom of the of the ocean. Yeah. Um, do you see the blue? Yeah, man, those it's blue, a constant puzzle. Those, those blue ones over there, or is it more of there? They because it's just you know the white sand beaches that go forever in the Bahamas. So to me, I would think of it more, yeah. more of like a tan crab pattern would be ideal. So the the thing about Abaco was that it is uh, we're fishing the marls, which is a very unique little ecosystem where the bottom is very dark and silty. Okay. Um, so I mean, you'll sink up to your waist when you when you walk into most areas. Um, so I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the Alflexo crab, um, which is it's kind of made a name in the Seychelles. Uh, it completely changed the game with permit fishing in the Seychelles. Um, but that fly really did well at in Abaco the last season too, and then uh, you just wanted flies with movement because a lot of these permits you, you catch in like the slightly deeper water. I mean two three feet, not 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 super deep, but you wanna you wanna fish them in mid water column. So they weren't really tailing these fish. They weren't digging in the mud. Um, they were eating more in the kind of mid to top water column, so which is actually, pretty cool. So you're seeing them push like almost wake 
um, the water in front yeah, of you, right? Exactly. That's yeah, most of most of the permit I caught this season was just kind of moving the fly, and never was the fly on the bottom, uh, without a doubt, because you could I could see them eat the fly, and uh, they were they were charging. So wow. it's just getting them to really tune in onto a fly and convincing them. And you you said a uh, Alfaxo crab, is that right? Yeah, Alfaxo crab. Yeah, it's a yeah, buddy, I, it's, um, it's Alec funny. Gerbic. It's funny it. because when you were talking, I was going through your Instagram and I saw the four, the five crabs that you tied, um, that you posted yeah. in October of a couple of years back. Yeah. And I, and I showed, them to, yeah. I showed them to Nick and he's like, Whoa. So those look awesome. Yeah. So they have like a, yeah. a netting body, but what, what, what's the leg material on those? That's where I bet the, the secret um, sauce is. So now, I mean the, my latest one I'm tying with like micro chenille, um, Okay. And then also the material called suede. So with suede, the nice thing is you can cut the shape that you want. So you can, depending on where you fish, which part of the world, obviously crabs look different. Yeah. And you can cut it the shape of their legs and claws and everything. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool pretty cool fly. Do you tie knots in the micro chenille or burn, burn them to kind of get those Um I just angles? burn them. You burn them, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, so you can burn them and you can actually like uh, take super glue and, and kink them where you want them to be and it'll stay just like that. Yep. So if you want more kinks uh, and stuff in the legs. That's a good, that's a good Yeah. That's a real similar, pa- what I t- uh, learned at the fly shop in Reading um, with uh, Corey. Yeah. Corey, he was showing with kind of the micro, it's not what the heck, it's, it, it was um, like glow bug yarn, uh, McFly foam or something. Okay. And uh, yeah. shredding that there's, up. And, there's so many different things you can use. Right. It's it's a it's a it's a cool. You can even thread rubber legs through there if you wanted to. That's my next kind of move, just to give it more natural movement. So I know there's a some you know do it yourself trips um, for, for catching bonefish over there. I mean, you can literally go find a, a cool flat and and you know fly fish on your own. Can you do that for permit over there in the Bahamas? Um, permit will be tough, you know, like the spots we fish, um, you always have a chance of seeing that for sure, but I would never in a, in, with confidence tell anyone to go do that DIY permit fishing in the yeah, Bahamas. Yeah, um, yeah. and again, like I'm only talking about Abaca at the moment, so it's not fair to say the Bahamas, I believe. Right. Um, cause I just haven't been able to see a lot of other places. So, but definitely not an Abaca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the drone footage you have of. It was pretty funny because you posted a drone footage of this big school of permit crews, and you're like, "These aren't bo- these aren't yeah. bonefish, <laughs> these aren't bonefish." Folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's like that's like the one and only time we saw like 13, and it just happened to be like a perfect morning. And I mean, we didn't, we didn't catch any of those fish because you could see how calm the water was. Yeah, just, I mean, no way. <laughs> right, permit are definitely the devil as it comes to fishing for it. They're just so they're so tough. Oh yeah, they're so tough. Fly fishing is fun. Fly fishing is fun until you start fishing for permit. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, talk, let's yeah. talk about that uh, rooster fish experience that you had in, in Mexico and catching that rooster. Yeah. So um, a good buddy, Matt Jones, a good photographer, um, he's done that trip like 11 times um, before we went on that one. Um, so he was the official photographer for that trip. We did a, a Yeti, like a photo essay for them shooting some content for new product and stuff. And so we set this thing up and um, it was tough fishing. I mean, I can tell anyone who's wanting to do that, you prepare for failure. Like if you, if you prepare to catch a fish on that trip, it's a wrong approach. Like mm-hmm. we were, we were four, four dudes that could really cast a long line. I mean, I got confidence in every single one of them to get it done on any fishing trip. And it was just myself and Yaku who managed to catch three each. So we got six fish, eight days of fishing, intense fishing, you know? So it's, if you think about those statistics, it is pretty, pretty hardcore. Um, the and that's first all, three days, that's all from the beach, fish, right? all from the beach. Yeah. yeah 100% legit. Yeah. Because um, that's, so, you can go yeah, out we in were a boat. running down, yep, running down the man. You can go out and, and the sad, the sad, the but, sad reality is a lot of people fish from the boat and right. then they'll jump in the water, take a picture on the beach. And that's, it's just not, I don't see why, you know, it's better for the fish maybe, but just, kind of say you caught it from a boat you know there's no (laughs) it uh it is what it is right (laughs) yeah yeah exactly Um, but yeah i didn't i didn't expect a fish like that i mean we were happy with a with a much smaller fish like 15 20 pound range fish and over the moon and then last day um as you would have it uh i just kind of staked out on one spot kind of drinking margaritas um and i was happy with the week you know and this shape just showed up and it was a long cast 
and uh, Matt Jones was there next to me and started taking pictures and we just kind of launched a couple of long casts and my third cast kind of made it into his line of sight. And uh, again, like it, at that moment, this fish just ate it as it was a GT, you know, it, like it wasn't a rooster fish the way he ate the fly. So it was just really sent my way. I uh, didn't do anything different. And uh, I never knew rooster fish jumped. So when I hooked this thing, it jumped clean out of the water three times, which mm. no one ever told me they jumped. So that was kind of a shock to my system. And uh, a long fight later, I mean, we had that thing on the beach and it took us about half an hour to to get a hand on his tail. So Yaku got uh, pretty badly bitch slapped by the fish. And it was quite <laughs> funny. Yeah, it, was, it was awesome. It's a team sport for sure. You know, like I wouldn't have been able to land that fish by myself. There's no way. So definitely a team effort. So yeah, yeah. when you t- the way you describe that, because when I think of casting to a rooster fish, you know, you got the waves crashing against you and you got that shadow out there that you're you're targeting. And typically with a rooster, you have to, st- the faster you strip, the better, right? They just, they chase things down and they'll chase it all the way to like the, you know, a foot deep of water and then just turn around and not even take your fly. That's a typical yeah. r- rooster behavior. Absolutely. And um, so, so what you just described is pretty interesting that it just came up and ate it like a GT, yeah. like, yeah, no, like I mean, completely unexpected. Like the, these roosters will chase your fly into the shallows where they comb, like comes completely out the water. And that's one of the most spectacular sights you can ever see. Um, right. It is pretty exhilarating. Yeah. Are you, were you using mullet flies? Mullet imitations? Um, yeah. So yeah, kind of very natural. Um, that was one thing we, we, we really thought those game changers, like very kind of naturally tied game changers was going to change the game for Roosterfish. And definitely that was not the case in this in this scenario. Um, you know what? It just showed up, in my opinion, too obvious in the water. Like it was a pretty bulky fly. Mm-hmm. And so on day three, I tied a fly that was just very natural, translucent. Um, it didn't even have eyes on it. It didn't have no flash nothing so when you put that fly in the water it almost kind of disappeared it just had the shape um very vague shape so when you put it in a in like a little shell of mullet or bait fish your fly would kind of disappear and i think that that was key um you don't mm. want to make it too obvious for these fish because if you look at a bait fish in the water it's really difficult to see right. um so if you put this very bulky fly um it just didn't make sense in my opinion and so all six the fish we got was on this fly that i tied and mm. uh I mean, who knows how big a part it played, but I think like definitely length um, and color was was a, bit, a crucial part of the of the fly design. How long do you think it took you to land that that fish? Um, probably a good like 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. The the initial run was pretty quick, and we got him into the beach really fast. But then you have these uh, shore breaks, which is really difficult. I mean, I was fishing a ten weight with thirty pound leader. And and the day before I lost the fish, it was probably in the around fifty pound range, slightly smaller than this one. I lost it at my at my feet. Um, so I was very gentle with the other big one. So it's kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> so you're saying those there's a little bucket basically that you got to pull the fish up and out of into into a shallower water to get a hold of it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So you've got a very very small little shelf, and then it drops into this little gutter, which is probably like kind of midway to shoulder depth. Um, and Yaku was standing in that kind of stuff all the time, running up and down and super tired um, by the time we got it uh, to hand. But um, yeah, it's 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 stressful. <laughs> so do they hang out in that in that bucket then and just kind of cruise back and forth looking at whack bait? That yeah. Comes so you so the shelf, the flat that you kind of can spot them in is probably about 300, 400 uh, yards wide. And then it just all kind of drops off into the abyss where there's like marlin and stuff swimming out there. That's why you get Dorado and stuff coming on the flats too. So these roosters will jump on the flats, kind of moving into towards the shoreline and then move up and down the shoreline looking for bait fish and then just kind of go up down into the deep water again. So they don't hang around on the flats. Um, they just jump on and you kind of got to be in the right place, right time. Huh. So we identified if you find the bait, you can always hang around. Kind of That's a magnet for the fish. Eventually one will show up. And, uh, and definitely the pushing tide seemed to be better um, in Baja. Um, and then certain days were just more fish than others. Like certain days you just didn't see fish for, for no particular reason. Hmm. Um, so it was cool. It kept us, kept us thinking. When you say pushing tide, you mean the tide's coming up? Is that what you mean? Yeah. It's just starting to, to come, to come up. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty neat fishery in the fact that you don't have to wake up at like five in the morning. You need a high light. Um, so we would go fish like 10 30 to like four or five o'clock. Um, just when the sun is perfect. 
because you really got to see those fish. Um, and then there's the, the story of running down the man, you know, how does they describe this fishery? And that's no joke. I mean, you sprinting full speed on the beach and it's not to catch up with a fish. It's to get in front of get it. Like of I it, found yeah. that really effective too. get way ahead of it. And I like to get in the water, like knee deep, being able to cast parallel with the beach down towards the fish, let the fly sink down to the bottom. And when he's kind of close, kind of start stripping really slow, just kind of read the fish and move with his movement. Even the fish speeds up, you speed up. So it's directly what the fish is doing. You try and imitate that, and, and that kind of seemed to work So you us. basically just mirror the aggression of the fish. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, and and some wow. fish never even light up. You know, he swims over the fly and didn't even speed up, and it's pointless to, like, we tried a lot of different things, and I think it'll take more than one trip to even get a slight idea of what they want. Mm-hmm. That's a good tip, though. That's a really good tip, um, what you just meant. You find that in Yeah, other- I find that for GTs, too. I, I want to try that for trout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start stripping damsels. <laughs> Striper, everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're roost, we got permit, we got rooster fish. What other, what other species do you want to talk about? Was that in July, by the way, um, the rooster fish? Was that in July when you were targeting it was, them in Baja? I think it was end of, end of June. Okay. Yeah, I, I believe this season was a really tough season. Um, uh, just just looking at the reports, it was a pretty tough season. That's what Sherman said. He, he was, and it, he says it's changed a lot too. I mean, there's a lot more people on the beach riding, you know, quads yeah. up and down, trying to do the same thing. And um, like you said, it, yeah, unfortunately, it's a it's a pretty small area that you can really just fish for them in that style. Um, it's really small. Um, but again, I mean, you share the water and no one owns the water and yeah. there's space for everyone. You just got to kind of work around yeah. it and respect each other. Right. Well, I've, I've got, um, I've got, because you've been all over the planet and, you know, plastic in the water pollute, you know, when it comes to pollution is like a big thing. Um, do you see a lot of pollution on, in these, these places that you go? If, if so, oh, man, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, what I want to, I, I kind of want to understand is like, you know, what do the locals think about it? How are they dealing with it? You know, at that, you know, the local level, what's the impact to them, you know, personally, and then maybe the, economy. I think it's, it's so cultural too, you know, like in, in the Bahamas, for instance, it, it drove me insane. Like you'll see these, the locals and even the kids, the old, it's actually more the older generation kind of folks that'll just kind of walk around and throw a bottle in the bush you know someone no one's going to see it there you know like that attitude and they've just been doing it for such a long time um and i mean you'd go to the grocery you buy one tomato and they'll double bag it for you i'm like no that's fine i can carry one tomato (laughs) and so it's just that mindset uh which is ridiculous and uh it's it's you see it everywhere like in the seychelles too a little bit less maybe but uh we as guides every week we would walk and just clean up the beaches and you'd pick up bags and bags and bags full of flip-flops and plastic and bottles. And it is, uh, it's, it's, it's very scary. Um, and it's definitely like I've taken on this, like just attitude of just no single use plastic and it's making my life difficult, you know, like, cause yeah. we've so used to using plastic, but me personally, I cannot use a plastic bag now, uh, when I go shopping. And so there I am like trying to juggle like a milk bottle, like apples and shit in my arms and it's just tough but it's it's a challenge and i i want to do it <laughs> I, I do it all the time I, I, it's my favorite thing to tell the yeah. checkout the checkout person is like ah i, I like to juggle this all <laughs> they're like you want a bag now yeah I, I like juggling it <laughs> no keep spreading the word you know it's like that's the goal yeah we, we, and there's places like belize um i think belize from next year onwards no more single use plastic um so there's a lot of places and i think social media again has got a big influence on that in being able to spread the word uh companies like coaster like the kick plastic campaigns and yep, there's a lot yep. of people doing really good things yeah they're doing a great thing with that um and belize is that's where i've seen the worst um of it just you go to a little island out in the middle of nowhere and it's it's covered completely covered there's no oh man it's scary free beach out there to walk on it's just covered like you said flip-flops plastic bottles yeah i mean i guess my question yeah. is is it is it is all this the source of it coming from the local area the local populations local urban centers or is it coming in on on the uh you know big carriers big ships because they i've heard that they just dump their trash right over the edge of the boat and don't even i mean is it coming in on the current no absolutely i think i think it's a really difficult question to answer i think we don't really know what the where the source is i mean there's certain countries europe um 
uh, Eastern countries that I guess use plastic maybe a little bit more um, than us. And I think you can probably directly associate with more densely populated areas. Um, obviously, they can, like a small place like Namibia, for instance, cannot nearly produce as much plastic or use as much plastic as a highly populated area. So um, it's just impossible to say. And I mean, the big tsunamis and stuff like that, too. When there's a massive wave crashing over a country, like of course it's going to pick up a lot of trash, and it's just right. impossible to say where. I think it's just a worldwide problem. Um, I wanted to talk about some some tactics and stuff. You know, what what type of line and rod do you like to chase those permit with? Um, I think definitely weight wise, it obviously depends on where you're going to fish for them. Um, in in the Bahamas, where I've spent a little bit of time now. Um, trying to figure out these fish and stuff uh, it's really important obviously keeping in mind you want a, a rod that can carry the the fly that you're casting so generally with permit you're casting bigger crab flies uh, so a 19 weight kind of rod that was the ideal setup for me and then um, I don't really like to line like up line your rod so a lot of people back in the day they used to put like a 9 weight on an 8 weight rod to just load it quicker but uh, for permit, that's the rare exception for me where I actually would do it because it just loads my rod super fast. Like you want to make your cast count and you want to get it out there really quick. Um, so I would kind of my, – my setup that I fish is I do a 10-weight kind of um, Cortland bonefish line, which is a pretty subtle taper line. I put that 10-weight uh, line on a 9-weight rod, and then I fish a tapered leader. I don't tie my own leaders for permit because I just want to avoid having knots in my line because they run through those fan coral and stuff like that. Um, and then they can snap you off much easier. So I do a um, 12 foot, 16 pound leader. And sometimes I add like a, like a two feet section on the butt. Um, so on the thicker, thicker side of the leader. So you don't have a blood um, knot connecting the tippet to it to itself, right? I, so I do, I do a blood knot, but I extend it from the back of the leader. Okay. So the front oh, center section, I don't have a knot. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's and fluorocarbon yeah. leader. Right. Fluorocarbon. Um, yeah. I mean, that's ideal just for abrasion resistance and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. Have you seen a lot of guys using yeah. the clear the clear lines out there? So clear, clear lines, not not a fan at all. You know, the biggest thing uh, being a guide, um, can't it's see super it. difficult for a guide to to track your cast, right. to track your line. You know, it's so important for me to know where my line is sitting because sometimes you lead a fish and you got to wait for them to follow up on the fly or to get to the fly, and by the time you strip, you think he's on it, but you're like thirty feet short. And you just don't know. So I'm, I'm personally not a big fan. Um, the one place where I love the clear intermediate was for Golden Dorado, you know, because they you see the fly. Mm -hmm. You don't have to see the fly line. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a big thing. I think if you're used to it, you can fish it. But for generally uh, traveling to these places, uh, the guides do not like it. And then what about bonefish? Those, um, those are huge bonefish, by the way. I didn't think that the Bahamas had such big bones. Uh, I always thought that the, that was more, you know, Hawaii and and Florida. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, ocean side um, Bahamas, you definitely get some bigger bonefish. Um, I mean, there's rumors of people catching like fish in the 17 pound range, 14 pound range, Whoa. which is nuts. Um, that's the kind of next next level big. But uh, I was happy any day if I kind of got back to the lodge with a seven, eight pound fish. That's a, that's a good fish anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, but my setup for that is without a doubt, I love, again, that Cortland. It's a bonefish line. It's a 105 foot line, very subtle taper, not too heavy. Um, so even on the calm days, you can lay that line out and it's, it's not going to spook the fish. It's white, so it's not a shocking color, but you can still track your line, which is awesome. And a very soft line. And then I do like a 15-foot leader, um, which I tie myself. So I do like a, a um, eight-foot butt section of about 50 pounds, uh, going on to 40 pounds a foot and a half, 30 pounds a foot and a half, uh, 20 pounds a foot and a half, and then your tip section, however long you want it. Um, wow. So that thing turns over pretty easy in the wind. Um, yeah, and it works works really well. That's why you tie it that way. It's just mainly because of the wind to turn your flies over. Yeah. Yeah, it, it almost doesn't even roll over like a leader supposed to. It just like straightens out. It's kind of a weird looking leader, but it works. <laughs> it it straightens out almost every single time into like 20 mile an hour wind. You can just shoot it. It'll go. <laughs> and then, what about flies for those bonefish over there? 
Is it is it pretty much anything um, you can use, or do, do they t- tend to like something specific? I'm really really bad at that. In the fact that I like, I mean, you're always trying. I fish an EP spawning shrimp. No, 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 not at all with oh. bonefish. I suck at that because I, <laughs> I should I should care more. Um, but with bonefish, I just like to like if they don't eat my fly, it's like well screw you. I'll I'll try the next one. You know, A kind of mentality which isn't the right way of doing it. But, um, <laughs> but that EP. That EP, that EP spawning shrimp, Enrico Puglisi spawning shrimp, uh, if I had to choose one fly to fish all around the world, flats fishing, that would be the fly without a doubt. On any species, not just bonefish, huh? On most species, you know, if you had to choose like one fly to target, even permit, triggerfish, bonefish, small trevally, like everything eats that fly. Talk about you can die, obviously buy it in different weights and, and and sizes. Obviously, talk about triggerfish real quick. That's something we've never really talked about on our show, um, and, and it's yeah. I've casted at them before. You know, they're they were sitting. We, we went out and um, it was in Mexico, and there was a kind of a coral reef that was a wave was crashing over, and you'd see them sitting on the top of that reef. They were moving back and forth, eating, yeah. eating things as the water crashed it, and it was yeah. super finicky fish. I mean, um, they, really hard. To, oh, absolutely. To catch, talk talk about those guys for a little bit. Yeah, it's it's strange, you know, like just in general, like how a lot of people they just not attracted to casting to them, or they have no like reason to fish for them. Um, with the South African mentality, like we, we, we like if it moves, it sees a fly, you know, like you catch anything. And so, and it's, it's super rewarding. I mean, sometimes you catch stuff, you don't even know what it is. But um, in the Seychelles, it's a really big target species. I mean, people go there to, to, to catch triggerfish as well. Where? Um, Where obviously, at? beautiful color in the Seychelles. Seychelles. Oh, okay. Um, so you get them, they're not that like that grayish color. They're very bright, colorful fish. Um, I mean, they do everything you want a flats fish to do. So they, they tail, they tail really hard on a low tide and, uh, it takes a very accurate cast. So it's not just like flopping a fly out there and it's going to eat it. So it's technical fishing, which I love. So you need an accurate cast. And once you've hooked these fish, I mean, sometimes you'll have them follow and like, you can see them eat the fly, but you're just not getting hook up. And then eventually you look at your fly and he's bit your hook in half. <laughs> so it's like that they, they do it or they crunch it like where it's a little ball of metal. Like there's no way you can hook a fish on this fly anymore. Um, but once if you do hook them, they kick into this gear. Like sometimes they'll sit there and you're like, well, is this it? You know, <laughs> do something. And then they just kick into gear and then they can kind of destroy your leader in a matter of seconds. Like just go into coral and they like to like dig into coral holes and stuff. Um, so when I used to guide in the Seychelles, you carry like a, a dive mask in your backpack and uh, you you go down and you go get them. Like you put your head underwater and you put on a glove and you get them out. Um, <laughs> super strong fish, just funky looking. You know, when you take them out the water, they bark at you, like make this funny noise. And it's, it's a very, very cool fish. So <laughs> when you say accurate, uh, does that mean hitting them right on the nose when they're tailing or do you put it out so in front of them a little bit? Definitely a balance, you know, so if they're tailing hard and they're heads down and they're like really working hard you can put the fly closer and then sometimes they kind of just sit there and wait and watch and that's when they're really skittish so you can't slap it down like if you slap it down that fish is gone um so Mm -hmm. it takes like a very subtle subtle presentation you just kind of want to put it in that hula hoop we always say like in the bucket in front of the fish yep um and you're going to spook some of them um it's like my mentality with permit fishing too you either want to spook them or you want to hook them so but show them the fly that's that's a good i was going to bring that up because you know guys have told me for forever like oh you got to put it on their nose and then oh you got to lead them it's like no you got to you got to get that into a teacup not a hula hoop a teacup right on their nose (laughs) and then you do that yeah you know like and before you even made the cast you pick your rod up and they spook or you put the fly in their (laughs) nose and they spook you know like you're like all right what am what's going on here you know but yeah from what you say it sounds every fish is different that's what makes them so attractive for an angler yeah Absolutely. I think my, the main thing is always like it, it sucks if you know you, the fish didn't see your fly. You didn't give yourself a chance. You know, like that's the big thing. Can we uh, can we spend a little time um, kind of giving some newbies like myself an idea of where to start if they want to do their first destination salt trip? Like where, where they should go uh, prior to where prior to getting there? What kind of a skill level should they be at? Um, you know, that, that type of thing, what species should they target for their first like experience? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think without a doubt, um, bonefish is that fish. You know, I think it's the perfect fish to introduce people to saltwater fly fishing. Um, they not they can be picky, but in most scenarios, they're pretty honest fish. So if you put the fly in the right spot, you do the right thing, they're probably going to eat the fly. So in saying that, I mean, a lot of people come to the uh, like at Abaco Lodge and complete beginners, and they'll leave uh, with a couple of bonefish. And so um the bahamas is a really good spot to just for the purely for the numbers of fish and also the ease of getting there like i think that's why the bahamas is that that uh, popular um unfortunately the bahamas is actually pretty expensive um but you can get some diy stuff and you can go wade flats and definitely find bonefish i mean it's it's not a problem at all i think in reality um if you can work on your cast and one thing people should always keep in mind to not just go and cast when it's nice and sunny and calm outside because 99% of the time, if you do saltwater fly fishing, there's going to be wind. Um, so plan on wind and any anything else is a bonus kind of. And uh, calm days can definitely be a blessing and a curse. So like I said, I rather prefer more challenging conditions. That's when the bigger fish also feel more comfortable kind of coming out. Um, but yeah, if you go and practice, you want to kind of put out a couple of hula hoops or buckets or whatever, and just kind of practice to lay your fly down at that like 45 um, to 60 feet range. Uh, I think anyone can achieve that. Um, just kind of work out the cast, uh, find your balance. Uh, it's, it's definitely not uh, barber fishing or nymphing, so you got to <laughs> learn how to cast a rod, which is a big part of fly fishing, I guess. Um, yeah. And you think yeah, double? It's, 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 it's ideal it's, fish. You think it's important to be able to double haul, or at least single double haul? Not not at forty five feet. You know, like at forty five sixty feet, you can achieve it with a single haul cast. But uh, in all honesty, I double haul when I cast twenty five feet. Um, it just right. speeds up the process in anything that you do. Right. Um, so double haul is definitely past, like part of my every cast. What 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 uh, weight size size rod like a seven weight for for bones or eight? For most scenarios, I think an eight weight is the most generally used rod uh, for okay. bonefish. You can get away with a seven or a nine weight, um, but an eight is the probably the most used rod for bonefish. And then the Bahamas, you're saying? What if what if folks live in California? Do you still send them to the Bahamas? Probably, you know, like, I mean, I think Mexico and Belize are two other good options. Um, your average size fish are going to be much smaller, um, but they do also have a really healthy population of bonefish. So a lot of people will go there for their first bonefish. And also you'll, you can potentially, like, uh, opportunity for DIY permit fishing uh, is probably a little bit better there too. Um, my personal experience isn't good enough in Mexico and Belize as far as bonefishing to really give honest advice, but... Just kind of through all the all the fishing family and people telling me stories. Um, that's kind of what I pick up. Um, but yeah, it's seven, eight weight, handful of spawning shrimps, uh, smaller gachas, generally like a ten or twelve pound kind of tapered leader. Um, that's that's money. Cool. Do you ever have, uh, go to Hawaii to chase bones? Is that an, uh, something you'd want to do, or is that you're like, eh? What island um, is that? Oahu. Is kind of. Yeah, kind of a meh. Uh, it's a mixed emotions kind of thing. Uh, I was really spoiled in the Seychelles. I mean, all these people claim oh, the best bone fisheries in the world. Uh, I think no one can say that because everything is just so different and unique. Um, so the one thing that I'm not overly excited about for the Bahama for Hawaii is that you most cases you're fishing. It's combat fishing. Um, so. It's one thing to hook a fish, but the the other thing is to try and land them where you're fishing them between coral bombies and stuff like that, where you're kind of shredding fly lines and right. and stuff, which may sound like fun, but it's it's kind of I I would be very hesitant to book a trip to go to Hawaii to potentially catch maybe five or so fish a week. Again, like I'm talking out of mm. experience, but again, I have a lot of people that has been there, um, and then they claim all these like ten to fifteen pound bonefish. And I honestly haven't seen a lot of pictures that does that justice. So, <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> it's because they get yeah. their lines cut left and right when they, they yeah. lose them on the. I mean, I'm, no doubt they're there, yeah, but yeah. you just don't see a lot of pictures of people holding legitimate like ten to fifteen pound fish. It's interesting you said bonefish as like a first species because I w- I would have said tarpon just because they're they're one of the, the other species that it's willing to eat. You know, they're. I guess finding them is the hardest part, but once you do, um, it's not too hard to. No, tarpon must be one of the coolest sport fish out there. I mean, without a doubt. 
it's 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 just fantastic. I mean, to be able to fish for potentially 100 to 200 pound fish on a fly rod, I mean, that's pushing your tackle to the limits, and it's just visual. They jump, and they and the fight really doesn't last that long. I mean, they give up when when they jump enough, they get tired. You get your hands on them, take a fly out, let them go. So it's kind of perfect. Did you know they had stem cells in their eyes and they could adjust their their eyes to different light conditions? Jesus, I think they've got a lot of superpowers that you don't even know about. <laughs> Those things are crazy. We just, our last episode we did, uh, we interviewed a biologist in Florida and he, he kind of went into the morphology of, of the fish and broke down the last 120 million years of evolution with tarpon. It was, it was it's a very geeky episode. Yeah. I think you would enjoy no it. No way. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. It's yeah. A, he talked about that and, uh, you know, the, the lungs, how, you know, they're almost like human lungs where there's tissue. It's not just a bladder. It's got tissue in there and they actually use that for, for energy and, uh, um, well, and they can, they can yeah. breathe in like almost no, no oxygen. The dissolved oxygen could be like 1% and they can kind right. of, they can come up gulp air and actually eat, respirate that air. It's pretty friggin' cool. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And now they need fresh water and they can just sit like, it's crazy. It's super cool. So do you, besides New Zealand, is there anything else on your bucket list that you got to go, you got to go tackle? Man, I, honestly, I think the list is too long to start now. Like it is, <laughs> it is, it is like Golden Mashir. Uh, it is Goliath Tigerfish in Central African Republic. It is uh, the Venezuelan jungle, like for Bayara. Um, the, the list, it's crazy. I mean, I haven't caught a steelhead yet. Um, so uh, that's ooh, next on the bucket list. Nick Hanna can make that uh, happen. I've got a lot of, again, luckily I have friends again like uh, wonderful friends that uh that's invited me and so i can go it's just uh kind of timing and everything now right. um but um yeah the, the list is still very very long which is awesome <laughs> yeah if you get the next anytime september or october off um definitely make a trip to british columbia and go swing some steelhead up i, I don't think you'll, oh, you'll done re- deal you'll regret it um, done deal now i've met a lot of steelhead junkies i mean like these guys are absolute addicts and so it tells you a story you know like there's something <laughs> i gotta go figure it out <laughs> i made my first trip over there this last year i took uh, my lady and she's seven months pregnant and we had we just had an epic trip i saw fish crushing dries on the surface that were you know up to 30, oh, 35 36 inches it was it was crazy. oh man pretty pretty cool trip. <laughs> That's nuts. just like going back in time you know yeah. you just way more fish than people which is what you want you know well that's the goal yeah at the end of the day like that's what makes a trip special and that's a big part the more the more fish i catch in my life the more i appreciate pristine places like it's it's honestly like i'd rather take one fish a week in a beautiful place than i would take 100 fish in a really kind of destroyed environment right i'd get i get on board yeah with it's that. That. i like that idea where's uh where's your next trip, yeah. trip taking you um, so the next half of my year is pretty ridiculous. Um, so I'm actually doing a, a social trip, which is quite fun. I'm doing, I'm going with a couple of buddies to the rugby world cup in Japan just to support. But of course I'm going to go fish, uh, two days. So I'm going to fish for Yamami trout, which is indigenous to Japan. Um, so I'm doing that for two days. And then from there, I'm going to do, uh, two weeks or two and a half weeks in the Seychelles. I'm doing one week on Alphonse, uh, and 10 days in Providence. Then from Providence, I'm flying to uh, Guyana to go fish for Arapaima in the jungle. And then from there, I'm flying to Oman um, to go fish for Africanus permit, which uh, which is kind of my fourth and final permit species that I need, uh, or for now that we know of. There's rumors that there's a fifth species, so but for now, the goal is to get the four that I know of, and uh, that's the final one. Yeah. Um, and that'll be my year. <laughs> The one in the jungle, is that the one that eats berries off the tree? Is that the one you're talking about? So the what? one in the jungle, the Arapaima, they eat probably humans. I mean, they grow up to like 400 pounds, these <laughs> oh, things. Like oh, they yeah. are gigantic. Okay. So the one the one you're thinking of is Paku. Paku, um, that's right. the berries. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, so the goal for the Guyana trip is uh, to get like a fish in that 200, 250 pound range. Um, they eat yeah, humans. Epic. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I mean. You should try a noodle for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly stick your hand in the water yeah see i started tying flies and it's like it's like as long as my forearm so i like t- tossing big flies it's always exciting just tie a fly <laughs> that looks like a human hand severed 
<laughs> maybe that's a that's that's worthy of an article <laughs> so go go back real quick there's there's four different types of permit talk about those just real fast just name them off so um yeah so in the Seychelles, starting off with uh those are my first ones that i caught it's the um trachinotus blotchy uh which is the first one uh, very common in in the uh, indian ocean um then you get the trachinotus anak which you find in Australia pretty abundantly. I got my I got my first one in uh, in Australia last year. And those have more of a yellowy um, kind get, of color, right? They're kind of yellow, pretty yellow. So they do. They like both uh, uh, all three of the other species except for the Atlantic permits got the yellow in them, uh, mm-hmm. the golden color. Um, the the one thing that makes the anak different is uh, kind of a shorter um, shorter dorsal fin and a kind of a blunt square head. Um, that's the biggest kind of difference. Then you get the Africanus, which you find in uh, Oman and Dubai and on that coastline. Um, they tail and, and kind of feed pretty aggressively in the surf, which is a cool way of fishing for them. Um, so I haven't caught that one yet. And then obviously the Atlantic permit um, that you that you catch all over the Atlantic. And then there's potentially a fifth one that we've kind of heard of. Um, that's also kind of on that uh, Oman coastline. But I, I, I mean... The one that that they showed me, it looked pretty similar to the rest. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's difficult to distinguish. So that, that I don't think you're gonna have a problem staying married, man, when you're traveling all these different places and and, yeah. not, and she's not coming <laughs> with you, right? <laughs> yeah. hey, I take my hat off to my wife. The best thing is we we met when uh, we did two years long distance where I saw her two months of the year. Um, you know, so I can't. I take my hat off to this girl, and uh, she definitely lets me live my passion. Uh, I mean, she knows. Like, she if she can't ask me to ever choose because it's 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 it just I just can't. It's part of my life, and uh, she gives me all the freedom. And I think she sees me the happiest when I do it. So that's awesome. Uh, I'll be a miserable human being if I can't fish. <laughs> I'm same. I'm making Nicole listen to this episode uh. later. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. All the wives listen. <laughs> Does does she have a does she have a business that she that she runs on on Instagram that you you want to plug real quick or? Um? Um, well, she's, she's, she's always busy with a bunch of stuff, but she's got a, she's got a pretty cool, uh, Instagram, uh, account for sure. So it's just Lindy Blau Pretorius. Um, and she's, she, she definitely travels with me on a lot of my trips. Um, but she sees also the, the other touristy side of things, which is, which is cool, which I don't really document, but she doc- documents it pretty well. Um, oh, which cool. is also worth, worth sharing, you know, cause it's all, all my stuff, just fish, 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 and maybe a deer here and there. But uh, she she definitely shows the the girly side of things, which is which is cool. That's cool. Well, when I saw you guys playing cornhole at the lodge, I think it was cornhole, right? You know, with with all yeah. the locals, I, I was that, that was cool to me. I mean, I love seeing the fish pictures, but definitely when when you get the culture involved, I mean, it, that's uh that's what makes me want to get off the couch or get no, out absolutely. of the states. Absolutely, I could and, I could definitely be better with that. You know, like I'm so focused on like telling the fishy story, but there's so much more. Um, yeah. and that's the, that's the cool thing. That's uh, my goal to definitely share more about the backstory of things, the cuisine, the food, like everything, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it all forms part of the experience. Well, we'll keep it going, man. Or I'm, like I said, I'm going to just be envious here in the States watching you do all this cool stuff. And, Su- super jealous. But okay, someone's got to do it. Good <laughs> job, Nick, finding this dude. He's awesome. <laughs> hey, man, thanks so much. Well, and uh, like, again, it, it it feels surreal still when people like, hey, we want to do a podcast. I'm like, why? Like, I just fish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... <laughs> Well, it's you, cool, man. It's not it's not an industry to be famous in, so and you can never be. So it's yeah. You it's got awesome. a, you got a great voice for it, and you've got a lot of uh, cool adventures to tell. And I, I, we want you to ha- have you back on and and tell some of those more in the in the near future. So yeah, and and let's go ahead and do the plug. You know, I what his Instagram, all that stuff, because I don't know if we really covered that. Okay. Yet. Yeah. T- how to tell uh, tell the folks how to find you um, again, real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's just on Instagram. If you look up uh, Christian Pretorius, uh, Christian with a double A. I mean, I'm from South Africa, so it's a little bit weird, but it's just a double A. It's not a spelling mistake. And uh, yeah, so Christian Pretorius, you'll see a lot of fishy pictures, and definitely trying to share a lot of information too. So if you have any questions, shout. Always happy to help about destination specific questions. Um, so yeah, it's free advice. So take take me up on that offer. Um, yeah. Do you have a guide website or anything? Uh, yeah, I got a website. Pretty new. I mean, I just launched it a couple of months ago, but it is just uh, christianfishandhunt.com. 
Um, so yeah, that's that. That will be an information portal too. A lot of videos that I've done, a lot cool. of articles that I've wrote, and kind of just my gear too, which is quite cool. Um, you can see what gear I use. Yeah, that's yeah, something we didn't even talk about. I have a passion for hunting as well, and I saw that you do um, uh, quite a bit of that too. So I, maybe, maybe on the next, maybe one that's we can, something we can talk about yeah. um, down the road. But, absolutely uh, yeah well thanks a lot man i know that it's getting late over there and um we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us uh thank you so much folks if you guys like this episode uh, please rate us on what chadley um itunes google play google itunes play. stuff like a lot that. of different places you can find our show youtube um thanks everybody for listening and uh tight lines out there This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, FishBio and Amp.Build. FishBio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, FishBio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And Amp.Build. Amp is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. Amp creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. AMP develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.build.